As we gather this morning, we launch into a series on Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Genesis is a wonderful book. It's a book that reminds us or shows us of God's ingenious creativity, how God has just in a glorious way created the world. It also shows us of humanity's uh, just propensity, uh, like just humanity's just continual desire for evil, and when it looks like that humanity constantly wants to, to just indulge in evil. And then it shows of God's redemptive blessing. What does it mean that God is a redeemer who loves to bless us? And so as we look at the book of Genesis, we're going to start first verse, first chapter, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. As we begin into the book of Genesis, even in the first two verses, there's a great deal of controversy. A great deal of controversy over what do these two verses mean. So let me give an example. It says in the first verse, in the beginning God. So we know that God was before all things. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So is that a statement of something that God has already done or a statement of something that God will do? That's one of the great debates there. Has God already created the heavens and the earth and then God needs to recreate the heavens and the earth because they have become formless, void, and empty? Where is this water that the Spirit of God is hovering over? Is it something that God has already created or something that God is about to create? I would suggest that the first verse of Genesis 1 is an introductory clause to the book of Genesis and to God's creative genius. He's simply saying, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's going to explain what happened. But there are still things you need to be thinking about in verse 2. The earth was formless, empty, and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Often when you see descriptions in Scripture around the surface of the deep, the idea there is that of chaos. And so what is formless, what is empty, what is dark over this chaotic entity that is ensuing? And what is the Spirit of God hovering over? Well, there's a variety of theories. So one of the theories is that God created the heavens and earth, and then he recreates them. Some people call that a gap theory, where there's a gap in time, and there's several respectable authors that would hold to that. Some people would hold to the fact that God has created the heavens and the earth, but they haven't taken form yet. And so in these next verses, we see God doing that. Some would hold that what happens here is God has already created the celestial beings. That's where I land. And in God's creation of the celestial beings, prior to what we understand around these days of creation of the universe, that God has already experienced Lucifer's rebellion against him, the fall of him, and a third of the angels that have fallen. And so there's now chaos in the cosmos, if that makes sense. And in that chaos that there is there, God's about to bring order as the Spirit of God is hovering over what has already occurred with the celestial beings. That's, that's where I would land in this. And so it's described here as the earth, as formless, as empty, and as dark. And as we go through the first chapter of Genesis, you'll find that what God does is he grants the earth form, he fills it, and he grants light. So you see these contrasts that begin to occur in the book of Genesis. As these contrasts occur... Uh, you find them actually quite frequently through the book. I hold that the book is written by Moses. Now, I realize Moses couldn't have written all five books of 
of the Pentateuch in terms of at least in the final uh, part of the book, his death is recorded. And obviously, someone had to put that there. Moses did not write his own death. That would be quite a feat. But you have, I believe, Moses. Why do I think Moses did it? At times when Jesus is speaking, Jesus refers to the law of Moses. And so I think as Jesus is speaking and referring to the law of Moses, he's accrediting or attributing the writing of these books to Moses. And so I think Moses is the author of this. You have a beginning of an understanding of a triune God in the fact that we have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and God the Father is the one who is creating the heavens and the earth. So you begin to understand here the Father and the Spirit. And so then verse 3. And so God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So God simply spoke. And by the very power of his word, he brings things into existence. He's so supremely sovereign and powerful, so majestic in his might, that all God needs to do is speak and things show up. And you have a pattern here in, De- in Genesis in the, in the created order. Divine speech, God speaks. A statement of fulfillment, it is good. Divine, sorry, a statement of fulfillment, it was so and there was light. A divine evaluation, it is good. And then the sequence, evening and morning. So you have divine speech, God speaks. Statement of fulfillment, and there was light. That shows up in different ways in the verses. Divine evaluation, it is good. And a sequence, evening and morning. And that pattern will replicate itself through these verses as you start to look through these verses. You'll also know that there's some parallelism that occurs in these verses. Day one. God sovereignly ordains light, and he divides the light from the dark. On day four, God creates the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars. On day two, God sovereignly separates the sky and the sea. On day five, God creates the creatures in the sky and the sea. On day three, God sovereignly blesses the fertile land. Grants it vegetation. On day six, God grants there be creatures of the land. So day one, light. Day four, the lights, sun, moon, stars. Day two, sky and sea separated. Day five, creatures of the sky and sea. Day three, you have the fertile land or earth. Day six, the creatures of the earth. And you see this this parallel going on through the book of Genesis. It happens actually the entire book, but here specifically in the first couple of chapters as the author is explained to us the creative genius of God. And so the question is, what is this light? If this light isn't the sun or the moon or the stars, what is it? I mean, has God just spoken like we saw in the video and a light shows up? It's not yet the sun or the moon or the stars, but a light shows up. That's a possibility. Is this light God allowing, in his creative genius, his light to illumine the universe for these first few days? That's a possibility. We know that God himself is light, right? As we read uh, other scriptures, we find out that, especially, let's say, in the book of Revelation, that one day there will be no sun. God himself will give light to all of the heavens. Is that what's going on here? We don't know. 
But we also see in this a binary. And the binary is a division of groups or classifications. Sometimes groups or classifications in opposition, but sometimes in relation to each other. And you have both occurring in the book of Genesis. So an example would be of light and darkness. So light and darkness is one. And you find this binary throughout Scripture. Matthew 4, verse 16. The people living in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So you see the darkness and light imagery. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special, special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So you see here in this binary, in this classification of groups or orders, as God so does it, of classes, sometimes those in terms of their opposition to each other, sometimes those in terms of their relationship to each other, you see heaven and earth, creator, creation, light and dark, land and sea, and I'll get to this later on, and also man and woman, and also man and woman. And so then verse, verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 6. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, there was morning, the second day. This vault is simply a separation. Some of you may have permanent in, in your Bibles in terms of, of, of a translation that's there. But this is simply God chose to separate. He separated the waters that had formed and he separated them now into sky and, 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 into, and, into, and into water, above and below. And that's the second day. And note, you can see there the order of the divine speech, a statement of fulfillment, divine evaluation, and then the sequence, morning and evening, um, or evening and morning. Verse 9, and so God said, let there be water under the sky uh, to be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And the they called, or God called, the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and he saw that it was good. And so now you have God, in his creative genius, taking the water and allowing the land seemingly to come up from out of the water and gather in one spot, and the seas to all be gathering in another spot. And then you have the third day. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees on the land that will bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good and there was evening and morning the third day. So now God starts to create kinds. God starts to create species. God starts to create in, in, in the formation of things uh, various classifications. And I want you to know that the land is what produces the vegetation. It's very clear here. The land comes distinctly, or the, or the vegetation comes distinctly from the land. And then God creates lights. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate day and night and to serve as signs that will mark sacred times and days and years, which we use to this day. Our calendar is based on the rotation of the earth around the sun. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And also he made the stars, and God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, one to govern the day, the other to govern the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, there was evening and morning, the fourth day. And so God here creates the sun and the moon 
and the stars and his brilliance. I mean, eight planets in our solar system that exist. Some of you say, what about nine? But Pluto's not a planet anymore. It's now a, I can't remember what they call it now. It's a whole, got a whole different title to it. You can look it up later if you want. I was reading about it this week. I know that's been true for a while. And, and as you look at our universe, it's, it's magnificent, right? I mean, how many of us have enjoyed getting up early and just watching a sunrise? Or staying up later and watching a sunset, right? Depending on where we are. And if you've ever done it over an ocean, right? Where you've traveled to the east coast or west coast or down in parts of the states or other parts of the world where you can see it over the ocean. It's brilliant. When we stayed at Bradenton Beach um, in this kind of this, this narrow area a few years ago, on the one side, because you could literally walk in seconds to the one side of the shore and in seconds the other side of the shore, you could watch the sunrise and the sunset beautifully from either side. It, it was just a remarkable thing to be able to do. We've also enjoyed the stars at night. Last night, Amy and I and the twins were on a walk. We walk every so often and we were walking last night and when we kind of got back to our house, it was dark and Last night, the stars were brilliant in the sky, even in the city sky. And I said to the kids and to Amy, I mean, look up at the sky and look at the brilliance of the stars. But then you take that from here and you go up north somewhere. I mean, the furthest north in Canada I've been in Ontario is Thunder Bay. The furthest north out west is Grand Prairie. And you go up to a place like Grand Prairie and, and you're out in the kind of the outskirts of town. It's not a big town. And you're out on the outskirts of town and the skies, the stars, sorry, in the sky at night are just brilliant, and they shine in their brilliance. And God set them there. God placed all of them there in his genius. And then God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly across the vault of the sky. And God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing within which the water teems, or with living thing within in the water, and let it teem with that, and move about according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. It would seem from the language, and if you look at verse 24, where God says, let the land produce the living creatures, it would seem from the language that the land produces the vegetation under God's command, and the sea is producing the sea creatures under God's command. And the land produces the animals under God's command. And I want you to note here in these verses on this day, as God is calling the sea creatures and the creatures of the air into order and into existence, and as he's creating them, as God is doing this, God in his, in his genius in their creation is then calling them to be fruitful and to multiply. He's offering them a blessing. It says that God blesses them. And whenever God offers a blessing, and you'll see all through the book of Genesis, this blessing and curse, this blessing and curse, it's, it's one of those tensions through the entire book of Genesis, blessing and cursing and blessing and cursing through the entire book. As, as you look at it right now, whenever God offers a blessing, he also offers the ability to fulfill that blessing. And so he's granted the capacity for reproduction. And so he says to them, increase and fill the waters of the sea, and fill the air. So I want you to know what God's doing here. As the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, and the chaos had ensued that was there, which is described as formless, empty, and dark, God is bringing form to his created order, he's filling his created order, and he's already brought light to his created order. That's the work of our God at this time. 
And so then, verse 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Note, you can see the divine uh, 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 um, just rotation that's going on here. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, that it was good. And so here, I think this is at times where we would have scientists in my reading for last week's sermon as I walk through a number of things that will look back on a fallen created order because that's all they can see, all we can see. We will never see the created order when it was truly good. We can only see creation in terms of its fallenness. We'll look back on the fallenness of the created order and as we look back on the fallenness of the created order and what God's doing, we'll say, well, this is why we think some things came from the sea, from the land. Because we can trace back what God was doing. Now, I would hold that these did happen in six 24-hour day cycles. That's where I land. I think the language of the text lends that way. But last week, I quoted from a number of people and godly people, John Polkinghorne, um, Alistair McGrath, who I greatly respect, who would, they would be theistic evolutionists. They would hold that this happened over a long period of time. And in fact, in the, in the, after the first message, someone came to me, godly person in our church I really respect, and said, you know, Dwayne, I think God did this in six days, but I think before the six days, because the Spirit is hovering over the water, that there was some type of earth and water that was there, which is why when God talks about the land and the sea, it's the only two things he doesn't say, let there be. He calls the separation of the sea from sky and sea, and he calls the land up out of the water. But he doesn't say, let there be land or let there be water, because he would say it would seem that they had already pre-existed under God's authority and rule. So I think that's one of those areas that's quite disputable. It's an area of flexibility in the Christian life and not an area that should be of great contention, though it has been over the years. The point of this portion of Genesis is that God did it. And God in his sovereignty did it. Because what would happen if you start to study and read the other uh, origin of the world or origin of the universe uh, myths or fables or tales of the neighboring religions it was the sun god who gave light it was the moon god who gave light it was the sea god who gave life it was the land god and these gods would battle with each other and what's happening in the book of Genesis is God is setting himself apart and saying, there is no sea God, there is no moon God, there is no star God, there is no land God. I am God. I alone exist as God. And I have called forth the land and the sea and the sun and the stars and the moon. And so God is setting himself up as completely different than any of the other religions where they're relying on the variety of quote-unquote gods And God's saying, they don't exist. I alone am God. I am he. And I am to be worshipped. And then God creates humanity. Now we'll look more distinctly at this next week when we get into Genesis 2. But I want you to note this. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground, So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now God's going to get more specifically into the created order of male and female in Genesis 2. But I want you to note some things that are really important. 
In many other binaries in Genesis, it's about the contrast, it's about the opposite. In this one, it's about the similarities, though also noting that there are some differences. But the differences aren't noted here in this portion of Genesis. Note, both male and female are made in his image. Both male and female are made in his likeness. So this is a Trinitarian conversation where the Father, Son, and Spirit, as they're conversing, are jointly making male and female. Notice, notice it says this, that humanity is creating his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, you can see here God speaking and saying, I have created both men and women, both women and men, in my image and likeness. What does that mean? That we share God's image in the fact that we are spiritual beings, that we are rational beings, that we are moral beings, that we have a moral compass. I talked about that last week, but I don't believe morals can exist even as a social construct without a prime mover. I just don't believe that's possible. And so you have us existing as those who are spiritual, rational, moral, and note we represent God. We're made in his image and likeness. When all of creation looks at us, they see something unique about us because only we bear the image of God. Only humanity has its mark, equally female and male. And together we're commissioned. The idea of the term rule over is not simply, it's not to pillage the earth, which is what has been read about for, for a long time. This was used in a horrific way. The idea of rule over is to, you are to be the people that are to govern the world to make sure that it's not oppressed. That is the idea here. It's to, no one should be more ecologically friendly, environmentally friendly than Christians because God has granted us his world to tend for it, to care for it, to come alongside of it, to walk on the land that God has given us. And because we can have spiritual, relational, and moral likeness of our God, we can fellowship with him. We can serve him, we can obey him, and we can imitate him. Firstly, as God, when Adam and Eve were imitating him, but now as those who are being redeemed by Christ and his work. So God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. It was so. God granted us food to eat. God granted us the ability to enjoy the planet he gave us. God did it for his pleasure and for our good. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Note this is the only day that good is described. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And the heavens and earth were completed in their vast array. So you see here the bookend, right? Of the first verse that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And chapter 2, verse 1, that the heavens and earth have now been completed in their vast array. And then there's a seventh day, the day of rest. And so by the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had done. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You find the term blessing here three times. God blessed the, the 
animals or, or the creatures of the sea and the sky. God blessed humanity. God blesses the Sabbath day. He offers us as a blessing. This is also where you find the term holy. God blesses the seventh day. He calls it holy. Now, when we say God rested, God didn't need a break. But God chose to set a pattern for us to establish that as we are in his image and to follow his pattern, God's saying, I want you to take a day where you simply reflect on who I am and what I've done for you. I want you to take time out of your schedule. And in a weekly cycle, I want you in that weekly cycle to rest from other things you're doing, to be set apart, to reflect on who I am and what I've done. And the created order grants us that type of refreshment, that type of focus on who God is. Let me offer a few thoughts. The created order reminds us that God is sovereign. It sets God as part of us. So in the beginning, God. God was the sovereign one in the beginning when no one else was there. It was God and him alone. And because God was there, God could create. So this wasn't about a variety of gods that were together in competition with each other creating. This wasn't about a fertility god. This wasn't about a, 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 a god of sun or a god of moon or a god of land or a god of vegetation. Right? Baal was the fertility god. And so one of the things that would happen in, 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 in the customs uh, of those that would worship Baal is there was this constantly myth tale of the ensuing of in the winter months when Baal would be subjected to other powers and then Baal would come out as victorious. And God's saying, there's no fertility God. I am the fertility God. I'm the one who's granting you to be fruitful and multiply. Note also, as, as God does that, he's showing his sovereignty. He's showing and displaying that there are no other gods before me, which then moves us in the book of Exodus into some of the Ten Commandments because they're based on the nature and character of God where he declares that we're to have no other gods before him. He also shows up here as Redeemer, right? As I believe that God had already created the celestial beings, Lucifer had chosen to rebel against God, and in that fallenness of the third of the angels, you have some of the chaos, I believe, that's described in verse 2, and this formlessness and and, and this, this void that's there, right? This darkness that's there. There's, there's formlessness. There's emptiness. There's, there is uh, darkness that's there. God, in his redeeming power that you begin to see, even in the book of Genesis, in the first chapter, he brings light. He calls light out. He fills the earth. He begins to fill it and says, continue to fill it. And he brings form. And you see God's redemptive power even here in Genesis. You see that he's holy, that he's other, that he's set apart. There's no one like God. And you see that God in his ingenuity is holy. He's other. And so he calls the Sabbath day holy, showing us who he is. You see that he's good. It's his divine pronouncement on creation. Only a good God can create good things. And he calls his creation good. I know we can only look at a fallen world, but is it not a good one? When I go up north somewhere in Huntsville area and I can stand on the edge of a part of the Canadian Shield and I can look down upon a lake and see other parts of the Canadian Shield. It's just stunning. I take that and I shift it to Vancouver where I would run in the mornings when I would go there visiting and speaking and, and I, would, I would stand at some part in the downtown of Vancouver and I'd be looking at the ocean and the mountains simultaneously and I'd say, wow, this is good. And only God could do this. And then as I'm standing there, I look over at the architecture, the brilliance of the architecture of Vancouver, and I get to see what 
God has allowed humanity to do, the brilliance of humanity made in his image and what we're able to create. And all of a sudden, you're just caught up in your wonder and worship of God as you're looking at the ocean and you're looking at the mountains and you're amazed at what God allows us to do. And in his brilliance, he's granted us that capacity. And you're like, wow, God, you've granted us this ability. You've created these seas, you've created these mountains, and you've allowed us to create this city. And you can see in that moment humanity in its glory, God in his glory, which is well beyond humanity's glory, in the ocean and the mountains, and just say, he is good. And what he has done is good. Only God is good, and what he's created is good. And lastly, it's by his powerful word. All God had to do was speak, and creation showed up. He's unimaginably powerful. That is God. But from Isaiah 55, verse 11. As the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word will not return to him empty. That's why God can say, let there be light, and there was light. That's why God can call out the creatures of the sea and the sky, and they begin to form. That's why God can simply call out what he wants when he wants it, and the created order simply is subject to his voice. John 1 tells us this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all of humanity. That light shines in the darkness. See the contrast again? The darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. And that true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That is Jesus Christ. Andrew, you guys can come up. And so we look here at Genesis and we're amazed by God's creative genius. He took that which was formless, empty and dark. He granted life. He filled it up. And he granted it form. And we know just a few chapters away we'll look at this, but we're, we're going to choose to sin against God. We know we knew that now. I know I sin against God. Humanity decides that they're better than God. And so humanity rebels against him, just like Lucifer. And then in our fallenness, in this moment of cursing and then still blessing, we'll look at that that week, God does something gracious. He one day in our rebellion and sin sends his son, Jesus. God the son comes. Lives a perfect sinless life having never done anything wrong. And at the end of his life, he gives his life up for us. Because in our sin, we feel empty. In our sin, we feel dark. In our sin, we feel like we have no purpose. We're formless. And in Christ, we have purpose. And in Christ, we're filled up. And in Christ, there is light. Is that not good news? That's what he does. That's what he does. And so that should lead us to worship. That should lead us to worship and celebrate our great God who loves us so much that in his creative genius, he decided 
to allow a universe to exist, and he simply called it out. And at the pinnacle of his created order, he allowed us to exist. And his love for us is so great that even in our rebellion, even in our choosing to defy him, that God said, that's not going to be the end of this story. God was going to pursue you. He was going to chase after you. He was going to come to you so that as the Spirit was working in you, you would give your life to him and be saved. He is a great God who has relentlessly pursued you so that you could be in relationship with him. And we worship him. We worship God because he creates. And so as we sing these final songs, oh, may we worship our God. May we worship the God of creation who is not a God among gods. He's the sovereign God. May we worship God as our redeemer because he's continually buying back that which was his that is lost. We celebrate him as holy who is set apart, who's calling us into a life of holiness. May we celebrate him because he is so unimaginably powerful that as he speaks, things can come into existence. And his word is so powerful that it will never, ever return to him void because he's God. In the beginning, God.